Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind their Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as host of At Dirty Laundry ABC, Thursday nights at ABC TV, lover of the laugh, rhapsodist scallywag. Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Lawrence Mooney. It's very nice to be here, Malty. Um, and I did used to have on there Martini Aficionado. Yes. But uh, I took that off during a dry phase earlier in the year, actually. It was just yeah. um, during the Adelaide Fringe Festival and up until midway through the Melbourne International uh, Comedy Festival about 55 days I took Martini Aficionado off because I thought it was false advertising but I should put it back because I'm back really? I'm enjoying um, some great cocktails at the moment Um, uh, a Sazirac is uh, it's it's born of the French and American influence in New Orleans yes it's got cognac uh Rye whiskey, of course, which is not bourbon. It's rye whiskey. Um, it's got an orange bitters and um, a little twist of orange rind. Lovely. Yeah. That sounds very delightful. It is very, very nice, and it's it's bitter, mm. but it's very refreshing. You can imagine having it down on the bayou somewhere in Louisiana, or where it's a bit hot at the levee in in New Orleans. You're fanning yourself, mm, and you're right. enjoying one of those. You're listening to a little bit of uh, traditional jazz in the Latin Quarter, yeah, and uh, you're thinking about maybe casting a voodoo spell on a <laughs> on a contemporary. <laughs> Just another day at the office, really. Absolutely. Mooney, in social... I think someone just rode off on your Harley. Probably. I'll get him later. In social situations, how do you introduce yourself? Um, That's a very good question because I go by so many non de plumes, Mm. so many different handles. Um, I'm referred to widely in the comedy community as Moon Man, but I'd introduce myself as Lawrence. Mm. Hi, I'm Lawrence. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, And most people... Uh, when they say, oh, you know, haven't met me before, and they use the the name Lawrence, they go, is, is it okay to call you Lawrence? Thinking that it might be something that I prefer abbreviated or ignored, but I love the name. I quite like it. Did you cop any heat uh, at school being called Lawrence? No, more for Mooney, so Moonface mm. or Moon Man, or I had... Um, large, luscious lips as a child too, and so um, there were some unkind references to my lips using the N word, which I can't use anymore. Yeah. In fact, the insult of the time was incredibly racist when I think about it. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Yeah, but um, it is still. Yeah, and uh, so you know, I know, I know the African American pain. <laughs> My black brothers. I've suffered alongside them. You stand there, find the power. Because brother. of my lips, because of my labia. My labia. Facially. Fajura. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, what do you do really well? Oh, that's a very good question. What do I do very well? I, um, I'm very understanding, mm-hmm. actually. I understand. Very well. I'm. I think I'm. Uh, my 
um, emotional intelligence is pretty high. Yep. Um, and I'm socially quite adept. I understand people's pain quite well. There would be innumerable stories <laughs> and exceptions to that and yes. people's anecdotal evidence I would say but what about the time when you did this mm. and yes there are um, I'm a complex man full of contradictions yes. and that's what makes me a charismatic joy to be around but I would say I'm, I'm, I'm a great understander mm. and I think that there's, there's probably nothing worse in life than to go through life misunderstood. Yeah. And so I try to understand where people are coming from. And, of course, there's a million exceptions to that too. Yes, there are many things worse in life and starvation and rape and murder and lots of things. But to be misunderstood is a terrible thing. You mentioned a high level of emotional intelligence. Do you think... No, I don't say so myself. <laughs> Drinking... Victoriously. <laughs> Do you think that that is something that... It's almost a lost art these days, don't you think? Um, I don't think it's an art per, per se, but... A personal uh, quality that isn't valued anywhere near highly enough. It's probably not valued that greatly until you're next to somebody who has no emotional intelligence. But it, it's... Um, it's not always widespread, and um, it can it can be absent in the most surprising ways. You know, yeah. people can be very intelligent and think that they're pretty cool and have no emotional intelligence. Mm. I guess part of it is um, my father once said to me, Stephen. He said, yes. "You'll never learn much whilst you're talking," and. I immediately understood what he meant, which was shut up and listen. <laughs> and I reckon that's probably the quickest way to emotional intelligence. Mm. There's a lot of people I know that do a lot of talking yeah. and not a lot of listening. Is it something that we are... Well, no, I, I think it's something that we're supposed to develop, isn't it, really? Because understandably, teenagers um, don't necessarily have a lot of emotional intelligence because they're still feeling out who they are. They're still coming to have an understanding of what it means to be in their skin. I'd say that it is part of growing up and be part of becoming an adult, mm. but um, I reckon that age is no limit to that. Mm -hmm. I, I am really impressed by teenagers of today. I have a 15-year-old daughter and people constantly warn me about teenage girls and how they can turn on you and how self-absorbed they are and she is an amazingly cool and giving individual and yep. so are a lot of her friends. So I reckon that um, probably age is no limit. Um, yes. I've seen emotional intelligence in children that would outstrip some Adults, so it can come from either end. I guess you can you can have it and lose it and get it back, or you can go about developing it. And it's it's kind of about universal love, I reckon. Mm -hmm. That it's not all about you, and that you're merely just another person on a planet that has you know six billion plus people on it. At the core, though, you, there has to be a a fairly determined love of self 
to be able to be someone that can interact in a healthy emotional yeah, level. Yeah, I, I guess you, you need to have developed a, a certain amount of esteem um, and you need to be, I guess, yeah, a person who is happy with their sense with yourself to be able to radiate love. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. I always get into these discussions in iPod. Uh, in, in podcasts and it's like <laughs> in iPodcast oh man um, I'm on an iPodcast I can't speak to you right now uh, I always get into conversations about universal love and we're just all part of the one big scheme yes. and then uh, after this is finished I'll scowl at a motorist <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll judge a pedestrian. <laughs> Which, look, is mm. that's the 2016 experience. That is the world in which that's the human experience. You, you try your hardest, but, um, you know, you're challenged at every turn. That's humanity. It's, I don't think it's a modern thing. Mm, absolutely. In, in a crisis or an argument, are you fight or flight? Uh I've become a lot better in arguments. I used to be um, incredibly volatile in yes. order to win it quickly. Yep. But now I'm um, much prepared to let the steam go out of it mm. and get to the, the nub of what it's all about. In a crisis, I'm very much um, stay put. Dig in. Dig in. I reckon that I'm a great reader of self-help. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been looking for silver bullets all my life. <laughs> and uh, there's, you know, that um, don't sweat the small stuff. Yep. Which essentially, you know, the sentiment is don't get too wound up over little things. Yeah, yeah. But I am, in a way, sweat the small stuff, make sure every detail's taken care of. Sure. So that when the big crisis comes, when the tidal wave comes, whether it be um, death, illness or, you know, whatever it is in life, you've got time to say, well, everything's taken care of. Yep. You can take time off work. Every, every the, the scene should be set for crisis in a way. Mm. Not that you live expecting it or, or live a life of trepidation and fear, but make sure that your life is in good shape so that when it happens, it doesn't wipe you and those around you away. Yeah. The last time... Uh, a big tidal wave came around you, as you put it. Were you prepared for it in, uh, in that way you just described? Probably not, but um, probably not emotionally. But yeah, there were things in place where I could go, all right, I can deal with this. Mm. But yeah, I'm, um, you know, I, I don't think that anything's too big for any of us to deal with. Mm. You've just got to really be able to focus on the thing at the time. And, you know, yeah. you've got to be able to bury your dead, take time to grieve, yes. and then, you know, there's a time for grieving and then there's a time for living and you've got to move on. And I've watched grief overwhelm people and and total their lives and you should never let that happen. Um, and that's what I suppose giving time to grief is all about. Of course, you know, it depends on the situation if somebody loses their life partner or mm. a child yeah. then there's no accounting for how that might you know impact on their life but I seriously think that life is for living so you've got to move on 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What do you find attractive, Moon Man? Um, in women, because um, when I, when you ask that thing, what do I find attractive? It's like, well, I'm attracted to women. I'm attracted <laughs> to some men too, but um, beautiful faces mm. uh, attract me. Um, but the thing that compounds beauty for me is kindness. I'm very attracted to it. Mm. I'm also attracted to um, mischief. Yes. I like shit stirrers. I like yes. troublemakers. I like bad boys and bad girls. I like getting shit piled with friends and hmm. being naughty. Uh, I like pushing the boundaries. I like pigeons walking in cafes very nonchalantly thinking, well, fuck you. I can take flight and spread this shit around. You choose. You swing a foot at me, I'll fly over you and shit on you. So just leave me be, walking along, head bopping through a cafe. I like the troublemakers and I love contributors too mm. I hate um, I hate affluence and greed with no contribution in return yes. I hate takers and takers and takers I want to see if you've got a shitload make sure that you leave something behind mm. yeah other than a good looking corpse other than a good-looking corpse. Like the pigeon, you know, it'll sit in the rafters in the same position for a long time. It'll leave something behind. I want to see that, I want to see that pile. Yeah. That, yeah. Make a difference. Make some sort of difference. How are you making a difference, Lon? I'm doing fuck all. <laughs> I'm one of the people I hate. I'm just taking and taking and taking. I'm incredibly affluent. Full of, you know... Wonderful statements and <laughs> grandiose platitudes. platitudes and and declarations. <laughs> I am doing fucking nothing. Seriously, I'm a, an appalling individual. If the revolution was tomorrow, you know, I could imagine someone in an, a Russian accent saying, "You had all this power. You're on the radio. You're on TV. Mm. You are on the stage. What did you say? How did you help humanity?" I did fucking nothing. Put a bullet in me. I'm a waste of space. I'm an asshole. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my best. <laughs> I think I like to take a message, at least some kind of half-baked, whimsical, left-wing, fluffy message to the stage with me that we should try and enjoy one another and be as kind as possible. Mm. I also do a lot of hating down on stage and judgment and intolerance, so, mm. you know, I'm... I'm a very well-rounded conundrum. I don't know. I, I'm not making a massive contribution apart from living, you know, the semi-recumbent life of a bohemian artist asshole. And, and you know, trying very hard to raise responsible children. I'm raising two children. I guess I'm doing that, um, which is a good thing to do. I'm also... I guess at the core of it, for 20 years I've been making, the longer I've been making people laugh. Mm. That's 
there's got to be some good in that. Yeah. They say, you know, after a good laugh, endorphins are released inside your brain and then they scavenge free radicals throughout your body and that, you know, reduces your chances of cancer. Mm. So I am one of the um, preeminent cancer researchers in the world. I've cured more cancer than a lot of cancer scientists. <laughs> You're a preeminent cancer retardant. Yeah, I am a cancer retardant. That's what I am. Who knows how much cancer that I've helped stop. So that's what should be put on my Order of Australia application. <laughs> preeminent cancer retardant. Get your shot of Mooney mm. as a means for stopping getting cancer. Yeah. In fact, you know, all that money made from Daffodil Day, I mean, oh. they should give a lot to comedians <laughs> as some kind of arts grant. <laughs> Could you imagine the outrage if that happened? Stop pouring it into the Royal Melbourne Hospital cancer <laughs> unit and give it to me so I can get some posters for me fringe show. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know how much trouble I'm going to get in. We'll see how we go. You won't. Cancerous people aren't. They're not angry people. They're too busy doing something else. They're trying to live and be cured. Cancer people. Yeah. The cancer community are pretty understanding. They're they're good-humoured. I guess when you've delivered that sentence by the doctor um, and told that you, you know, You've got the fight of your life on your hands. You become pretty philosophical pretty quickly. I guess so. Have you ever had that kind of sad news? No, I haven't. But I am put in mind of it because of my age. And my friend Dave Grant died shortly after his 51st birthday from Mm. pancreatic cancer. And I'm in my 51st year now, coming up to my 51st birthday. And so I think of him and what it would have been like to be told that you've got this terrible yeah, yeah. cancer, pancreatic cancer, where survival rates are minimal and it's got the dual edge sort of being lethal and incredibly painful. Mm. And the fear and frustration and probably anger that he would have gone through and then the realisation that maybe he was dying. Um, and if that was happening to me right now, I'd find it very... Oh, I'd find it devastating. Yeah. So I do think about his last year and in fact I'm, I've been thinking about it a lot this year so maybe I'm living um, with him at my back as my guardian angel this year Yeah, because he was a great comic and a really great guy and 51 is very young yes, far too far, far too, too young, young. Especially in the new money where, you know, we're pushing it into the 80s. Yeah. And a man's three score and ten is a long time ago. But, um, you know, none of us know when it's going to happen. So, yeah. as I was actually crossing Petri Terrace there, there's that road coming up from the 4X Brewery. Mm-hmm. And because of the nature of the topography and the you can't hear the bus that's coming up that hill <laughs> and can't. I was about to step off and just boom it's like you know how they go well you could go under a bus tomorrow I was close to going under a bus today I mean my god I was you know I thought there's nothing coming without even yeah. doing the cursory glance yep but there was a bus and it had my name on it well, luckily, it was just promoting your show. It wasn't actually going to take you out today. But No, it, uh, it could have been... Oh, God. 
my dead father's. Yeah, he's here again. The last time he appeared to me he was on Dirty Laundry Live and I had to have a chat to him telling him that it was a good show, Dad. It is a good show. Leave me alone. People like me, Dad. Yeah. I do wonder what my dead father would make of me. I have conversations with him and uh, they're not all very encouraging conversations. <laughs> he just goes, what's that? What are you doing? Yeah. I'm masturbating in a hotel room, Dad, to an R-rated video. Sure, I can get more hardcore things on my phone, but I've paid $16.95 for this, so leave me alone. I'm trying to focus. Now's not the time. Now's not the time. Get your hand off it, son. Yeah. No, just this. What are you doing? It's like, oh. It's a very, it's a simple and confronting question to ask yourself. Mm. What are you doing? Yeah. God knows. Whose life is it anyway? It's your life, people. Live it the way you want to live it. You don't have to explain yourself to anyone. What challenges you? Probably what we've just been speaking about is, you know, what what's the contribution you're making? Yep. Because um, I do look around and I think, wow, you, you are actually quite fortunate. And, you know, speaking in terms of that, you know, tiny percentage of um, incredible affluence in the world that, you know, just by having running water and a roof over our heads and um, not living near violence, that, you know, we are a tiny, a vast minority. So what are you putting back? Uh, Mm. That's what challenges me. What are you doing? What are you doing to help? Yeah. They've got me feeling all interested. Come on, next question. This next stuff's question. too confronting. Too old. Well, let's make it What's an your favourite sex position? No. <laughs> that was the next question, Any. but I'll step over that. Any. What's the most exciting thing that you've done? I reckon um, live TV would be the most exciting thing that I've done. Yeah, live TV is a whole new level of adrenaline and and kind of like this surge of fear and joy. Mm. And I've been on stage many times um, and performing live is amazing and it can give you that super high that can carry you through the night but live television when you see the infrastructure of the studio and there's a hundred people at work there working on cameras sound light in the booth producers makeup uh runners and then you're at the center of this you're the fulcrum Mm. you're the eye of the storm it's like all these people have gone to a lot of trouble so you should probably make sure you get this right (laughs) and then um, as you know the theme song to Dirty Laundry Live ends and Sansia Robinson does the the voiceover Mm. and she says and Lawrence Mooney and the camera the light comes on it's like the first time that happened yeah sure there was some nerves um you know, the, the final time that happened at the end of last season, I was like, oh, I love this so much. Yeah. Yeah, so live television is is it. And it's far better than 
doing something that's pre-recorded or delayed because yeah. you just don't get it. You know there's that out at the back of your mind. But and when it's live, it's like this cannot stop. There yeah. is no – and there's no delay and there's no dump button and it is live. So you've got all these plates spinning. You're taking a lot of information in. Yeah. At times, you're so pumped – uh, that your vision goes a little bit blurred. Yeah. And you've got to kind of readjust and think, suck a few big ones in here because y- you can't fall off your chair. You can't <laughs> faint. Or just go, I'm sorry. I'm, what were you saying? I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yes. And there's a lot going on, particularly when you're hosting a live show like that. Yeah, with a panel of four. And, and also the series producer, Peter Law, is in my ear. And he's saying very minimal things, but when he says something, you want to hear it. And so, you know, I've, I've been able to hear more than two things at once for a while. Yeah. But if he's speaking, I can't hear the person on my left. And if Zoe Coombs-Ma has just cracked an incredible joke <laughs> at the same time that Peter said something, I see everyone laugh and I've just got to go, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zoe, <laughs> and move on. Has it ever gone really badly on you? Something just upended? itself that you've had to try and recover? Yeah, it has a couple of times. I can't bring any you know, exact yeah. examples to mind, but I can certainly remember the feeling where it has, it has stopped dead. And I guess the idea of comedy in general and working with a panel is just to keep the ball in the air, keep yeah. it moving around. And that's the, the big danger with um, live television and the exciting part as well is that occasionally that ball is going to go to the ground and then you've got to pick it up and start again very quickly and I think that that ebb and flow and that danger is what brings a lot of enjoyment even subconsciously to the audience at home because if you're listening to a pre-recorded thing they'll go for a big laugh Mm -hmm. then a bit of a crane shot or a you know a breaker and uh, then restart it and most conversations even if they're hilariously funny, just don't go big laugh, big laugh, big yeah, laugh, yeah. big laugh. And so you know that that's unnatural in your head and you might not be able to put your finger on it, but you think, what's wrong with this? But with a live show, there's that ebb and flow and a big laugh and then yeah. occasionally things go weirdly flat for a moment. It's like, what's going on here? And then somebody goes, remember that time when we... And the <laughs> conversation starts again. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the ball does occasionally hit the floor. I've probably learnt not to freak out about that because mm. those pauses or silences or awkwardnesses are fine. They're natural in life. Do you find that sometimes those, those flat moments can come very early on from a guest that you expected maybe to bring a better game and very clearly they're off? How do you cover that? <sighs> You know, sometimes with a panellist, you can tell that they just got massively freaked out by the Mm. idea that it was live. Um, And so you know you've got 45 minutes of game left (laughs) and that you need them to fire. And so you've got to give them, and I'm using a sporting analogy here, you've got to give them some easy possessions. You've got to, you know, line them up in front of goal and let them get some glory. Yeah. Because if you cut them out of the conversation, they're gone. Very noticeable. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very noticeable. So um, there's a couple where... uh, One example was Richard Reid this year, where Richard's fabulous talent. Yes. And off-air, he's 
a lot naughtier <laughs> and a lot more frank yeah. than he would be on air. But I said, of course, you can say whatever you want on our show. And I just saw him checking himself early. Yeah. Because he has to balance the two. Yeah. I said, Richard, don't have to do that on this show. So cut it out, okay, mate? <laughs> and then he just went... Shoulders we were, back, yeah. We were talking about Katut. Yep. And the guy who plays Katut had just got married and how would Rhonda feel about that? And so mm. we're mixing the fictional and the real world. And he goes, I think Katut's a slut. He's a male whore. <laughs> I remember this. And just went to him and I went, okay, he's good. Yeah. Because he, you know... He checked himself early, and I thought, you can't, I don't want Richard Reed out of this game. I need Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he just took it by the horns <laughs> and went crazy. And so he's going to it, right? <laughs> and someone from our legal department, because we have two lawyers, sure, so yeah. just had to check. Is Katut a fictional or real person? Because he's defaming them. And they, <laughs> the series producer said, Katut is fictional. He goes, okay, fine. And you're hearing all this while this no, is going on? No, I'm not on. hearing this. Oh, I'm told luckily. afterwards that legal checked with us. Yes. Is Katut real? Because we're defaming <laughs> you pretty badly. Know. Oh, gosh. No, just to make sure. Because <laughs> their job is to not lose $80,000 oh, yes. in a defamation suit. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> It'd be hilarious if, oh, would be if the character of Katut, which is impossible legally, you can't yeah. be sued by something, someone fictional. Uh, he's a slut. He's a whore. <laughs> I think he used Rander. That's vintage read. Oh, it's very classy. What's the most Australian thing you've done? Oh, punched a lebo. Um... <laughs> oh, God. And yeah, uh, see, I'm I'm vexed. Yeah. By the idea of Australian and mm-hmm. Australianness, and are you a real Australian? And yes. Uh, not if you don't if you don't love it, leave. Oh, yeah. If I don't love what your concept of Australia, yeah. you fucking dead shit. Like I'm not, I'm not a massive follower. Mm-hmm. So immediately when you mm-hmm. ask me, the, you know, what's the most Australian thing I've ever done? It's like be anti-establishment. Yep. Kick against the pricks. Mm. You know. Punch up pretty hard. Punch on. <laughs> um, <laughs> want to uh, you know tear that idea of national nationalism and not yes. national pride but nationalism and jingoism to pieces the Tony Abbott Team Australia idea mm. that was found to have been incredibly destructive uh, by the Federal Police and ASIO. They both yeah. briefed Mike Baird and Malcolm Turnbull after de- the death of um, that police employee outside the Paramount oh, yeah, Police yes, Station, yes. Curtis Cheng, I think his yeah. name was, uh, they, when they were being briefed about their response to that, they were told that two things had inflamed and alienated the Muslim community, and that was the term death cult yeah. being constantly used and Team Australia. Yeah. And... It's they're not inclusive terms. No, it's a the, for or against thing. They're a device. They, they are divisive terms. So yeah, I, I think um, yeah to be 
when I'm a good Australian, I rail against it. Mind you, I've got a great deal of respect for the flag mm. as a flag. And, yep. and by that, I mean it should be flown by government institutions and the military. Yep. I don't reckon it should be available for people just to use. The idea of it is to wear as a cape or a hat or to fly out of your car or to Mm. put up in your bedroom window. Fuck that. Mm. That is Americanism and it's bullshit. Flags are government and military symbols and that's the way they should be used and respected. And I was a Boy Scout and taught don't let it drape on the ground. Yes. Learn how to fold it properly. Yep. And and wrap it, you know, in a particular knot. And that's the way it should be treated. If we're gonna have something that represents our country, not worn by fuck knuckles at the cricket or the beach or on Australia Day. Yeah. And Australia Day I I have no truck with Australia Day whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more Australian days than um, the arrival of the First Fleet. Yes. And I think November 11th is a perfect Australia Day. Yep. It is Armistice Day in the First World War. Yep. It is the day on which Ned Kelly was hanged. It is the day of the Whitlam dismissal. Yes. It should be, we should build an Australian Day around Australian things, not yep. the arrival of a bunch of convicts to this country in what is, you know... Have the birth of, of uh, Booney. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know... Whatever date that is. Yeah, sit around and let's get blind on VB. I mean, it is a day that represents to our Indigenous community invasion and Mm. a systematic genocide. And it is a frightfully fraught day. I hope that explains where I stand on that question. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Quite well. I'm always... I, I struggle, Lawrence, with... We all struggle, Steve. It's, it's real. The struggle it's real. is real. That's, that is the human condition. It is. I'm very human then. Because I, I struggle very definitely with um, my desire as someone who is left-leaning to allow people to express their feelings, thoughts and opinions. Because uh, that, that can sometimes lead, lead to people saying of things that I don't agree with. However, I, I feel that I need to let them have that moment to say right. it. Um, though I see quite often those things that I don't agree with move very swiftly into the offensive. And then I get... I get The internal struggle comes out as, well, hang on, that's not appropriate. Like, I know there should be a limit on that, but I don't know how to... to other than saying that was racist, you cock. Yeah. I don't know how to pull that back in. Well, that I reckon that's probably the way to go about it. You, you live and let live. Mm. Let people do what they're going to do and say what they're going to say and wear the flag if they want to within the bounds of the law. Um, because the biggest problem with the left wing in this country is when they get into government they become incredibly prescriptive Mm. and telling us how to live our lives I mean this country is so moribund with rules and regulations about where to park and where to drink. I was speaking to this Italian guy, he goes I come to your country once a year Mm. to visit my daughter who lives here. Every year I get pulled up by the cops and warned or charged for drinking on the street. Why you can't have a drink of alcohol in the street in this country 
leaves me fucking gobsmacked. It's like the amount of rules and regulations, it's bullshit. And that, that's why, have your opinions, mm. you know, make them as loud as you want. And that's all you can do. You can't constantly legislate about people's behaviour. Mm. You just can't do it. It's, you, you just kill off kind of, you know, human frailty in the end. Have we degenerated, though, to the point where stuff which emotionally intelligent, well-balanced people would go, no, no, I'm comfortable in knowing boundaries and what is and isn't appropriate, but that the masses are are just unaware? Look, I reckon probably the... The one of those laws that has been debated most hotly in the last few years because Brandis wanted to repeal his racial vilification. And it's like, well, hold on. If we're talking about freedom of opinion, shouldn't people be free to say what they want about any race? And uh-huh. I, I don't agree with that. And I might have contradicted myself in terms of being prescriptive, but it's like racial vilification is offensive and it's dangerous and it reduces somebody's feeling of safety and security, yeah. not just their enjoyment and their ability to pursue happiness, but it's, it's wrong and I think it should be made illegal. But generally speaking, you, you know, if you want to educate the masses, then a good luck... But I think that Australians are a lot smarter mm. than governments or media yeah. give them credit for. Yep. I mean, we are treated a lot dumber than we are in general. Truth. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Mm, that's a big question because I've got some choices to make and there's some forks in the road and mm. some of it... You know, I, I actually... Um, I, I've come to a point where I know exactly what I want to do, and yes. that is act. I, I love doing stand-up comedy, um, and I started on this trajectory back in '94 as an actor. I was at drama school when I started stand-up. Yeah, wow. But um, and to an extent, a Dirty Laundry Live has been a distraction from that. It's been lovely hosting yeah. my own show and I'd love to come back for a fourth season on ABC One next year but what I really want to do is perform. Um, act. Yeah. I want to act and uh, so that's what I'm going to focus on in the next 12 awesome. months. Yeah, so I've done a pilot called Moon Man for the ABC. Excellent. And uh, that's meant to be a secret but come on. <laughs> Let's promote it. Let's get yeah, it out there. let's get it out there. So it's uh, about a comedian called Lawrence Mooney and his stupid little life and wow. his struggles mm. and his feeling with being out of step with the world. And uh, it's going to be part of a larger series of pilots that the ABC are yep. going to put to air. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fabulous. Is, that, is this something that you wrote yourself? Would you collaborate? Uh, I collaborated, and it was written by a guy called Scott Taylor. Mm-hmm. So um, that basically says I have the will and the intent, but couldn't <laughs> be fucked doing the work. None of the discipline. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, I should have put it that way. Had the will and the intent, but not the discipline. But Scott and I have worked on this for quite a while. Yeah. And um, he has the the... TV writer's touch of saying, mm. if we did what you wanted to do, 
it would be late night on cable. <laughs> In this country, there's free-to-air networks that have to have broad appeal, <laughs> and you need to let me take care of that. So he stretched me in yeah. terms of, like you know, we can do we can not lo- we can do this without losing your essence. Mm. So you know, there's that possibility, and there's a couple of I- other irons in the fire, but um, that's the direction I want to go in. Yeah, it would be so great. Yeah, it'd be really good um, if it came to fruition. It'd be fun. Yeah. Well, it, it, and not unprecedented. I mean, like you said, you've got a uh, history as a, a performer, uh, an actor. So to slide into that, it's not outrageous. Thank you, Lawrence. I really appreciate um, the things that you've shared. They're very important, and, and you're highly valued. I want to thank you for your oh, time thank today. thank you. No, thanks a lot, Molks. That's great. It's always great chatting with you. Very clearly, you are on Twitter. Okay. Are there, <laughs> are there, are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? Um, I've got a, uh, I guess what they call fan page on mm. Facebook, which I'd love people to go and like because I put stuff up there and tell you what I'm doing in my professional life. Yes. And I don't like to promote too much on Twitter. I like it to be left there for, you know, opinion and what's going on, mm. you know, inside your head yes. or inside your cafe or on your plate, not so yeah. much on your plate. Um, but, yeah, let's not make it just a bunch of billboards. Yeah. So um, I do that at Facebook, and if you would like to like me, that would be great. Excellent. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Lawrence Mooney is indeed human. <laughs> <laughs>